0: Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. The Omicron variant continues to ravage our state. More than 11,000 new cases were reported today alone. And consequently, many businesses and schools have been forced to close over the past week. At the legislature, bill filing continues and true to form. Many of those proposed laws are, you know, arguably undemocratic, unconstitutional, and just uh, generally bad course, as we said last week, those are the ones we tend to hear about this time of year. Undoubtedly, there will be some better ones. uh, And we'll discuss some of the good, bad and ugly bills today. The Supreme Court made a ruling that was related to the previous McGirt ruling. The governor is, uh, you know, forcing people to remove from uh, or to step down from positions. It's another week in Oklahoma politics. Uh, Joining me today to discuss this stuff and more are my two lovely co-hosts, Bailey Perkins. Hello. Hello, Andy. And happy birthday, we should say.
1: Thank you so much. It's great to be 32.
0: Oh, hey, great. Uh, And also uh, Dr. Scott Melson. Hello, Scott. Hey, man, how are you? I'm well. Happy Friday to you all. We are there's a snowstorm coming. Do you guys know about this? No,
2: I had heard this, that we're going to get uh, single-digit wind chills by tomorrow morning with, uh, with a trace of snow
0: on the ground tomorrow night.
1: Because it's like, what, 64, 65 today?
0: It's 62 right now. As we So that's a this.
1: massive jump.
0: Yeah, that's typical. Just like this is uh, so far in 2022, things cruise along and then they change sharply, whether it's the weather or COVID or whatever else. I think that's the, it's just unexpected train wrecks all the time. Okay, well, um, speaking of train wrecks, let's start with the dominant issue of the week, I guess, which is COVID, right? And its impact on schools and education policy as well. We'll try to make that strong connection to Oklahoma politics and government. Um, Scott, do you want to give us a quick overview of where we're at today? Everything is very
2: bad. (laughs) (laughs) Everything everything is very, very bad indeed. Um, No, I mean, uh, we're seeing more COVID than we've ever had. Um, I mean, I will tell you in terms of my level of busyness at the office, uh, seeing patients with COVID, answering COVID questions. It's been uh, the the last two, two, three weeks have been uh, more intense, really. Than uh, they've more been more intense for me than at any at any point in the pandemic, uh, other than when I was in the COVID unit last last year at the hospital. Um, and it's been, uh, yeah, everybody's sick. Fortunately. Fortunately, most people, uh, are, are, their, their symptoms are mild. Um, and it's very important when I say mild that you understand not sick enough to require hospitalization. That's what I mean when I say mild. It doesn't mean they don't feel horrible. Most of them feel absolutely terrible, uh, particularly if they're unvaccinated, but even some of the vaccinated people have pretty significant symptoms. But, uh, it is true that most people, most people, uh, their symptoms are, 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 are not serious enough to require supplemental oxygen or hospitalization. Um, you know, uh, In terms of therapeutics, uh, therapeutics, meaning the monoclonal antibody infusion and the oral antivirals that have recently been approved by the FDA are increasingly hard to come by. Uh, Everybody's sick, so everybody needs them. Uh, And uh, uh, for a variety of reasons, our supply in Oklahoma is not as robust as it could be. Uh, That has to do with the way that the supplies are being distributed by the federal government and how we are reporting COVID cases. So uh, the feds are trying to send uh, supplies to where there are the most cases, and so if you're not reporting as many cases, you don't get as many therapeutics. Um, uh, so that's that's where we are there. Um, despite that, we are in the, the, despite being in the middle of this wave, um, it is still vitally important that if you're not vaccinated, you get vaccinated. So if you've not been vaccinated, please get vaccinated. If you've been vaccinated twice with an mRNA vaccine but haven't gotten your third dose please go get the third dose. I don't I want to be careful here. Notice I'm not calling it a booster, it's not a booster. It is now accepted that full vaccination, right? To be considered fully vaccinated against COVID is to complete a three-dose series. Um and so to so so it's not it's not a quote-unquote booster, it's the third dose that you need for maximum protection. It's um, like uh hepatitis B there it is. There it is. If uh if you if you receive J and J, if you got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, uh, please get two doses of an mRNA vaccine. It's not too late. Uh there is still a point. <laughs> so definitely, uh, definitely if you're not vaccinated yet, please get vaccinated. I I uh I talked a patient into her first vaccine yesterday. Uh I, I told her I said, You've made my day. And she was like, Really? And I was like, Yes. Yes, I am super happy to you decided to get vaccinated. So um, anyway, that's where we're at. But, uh, you know, I, I would definitely recommend that, uh, everybody, you know, now, if you're sick of being in, if you're sick of being in your house and, and want to go out and, and, and get around the town and do stuff now is not the time. Um, you know, unless I don't know, if you have, if you, if you're going to go to, uh, you know, if you want to go see, uh, like there's a Broadway show in town this weekend that several people are excited about. I'm one of them. <laughs> um, I, I do plan to attend, I'll be wearing an N95 mask the whole time. We'll put it on before we get inside and I won't take it off to are back to the car. So um but that that is the level of protection that you need um to try and and, and not contract this version of the virus. Yeah. Well
1: and Scott, I wanted to mention it's even more important because of the Supreme Court ruling striking down uh President Biden's vaccine and testing mandate. So the Biden administration had an administrative rule through OSHA that any business that has over 100 employees either has to require their staff to get vaccinated or to get weekly testing done on COVID of their employees. And there's a lot of folks that didn't like it, including our governor and attorney general who have been fighting it and the supreme court ruled yesterday that businesses don't have to abide by that ruling and so it's truly up to us to protect ourselves at this point so do everything that you can
0: yeah goodness well yeah and if it feels like everyone has covid right now that you know that's because it's probably true right i mean there's the the numbers we know about the cases we know about are like one in 50 have it today right based on the active number of cases seventy-nine thousand something today so one out of 50 have it today that we know about however that's not all the cases right there's a lot more folks that tested rapid and it's not reported or are asymptomatic and don't even know they're infected right now uh, and so i i think scott right the the real number of active cases today is probably one in 20 maybe as low as one in 10. Just everybody. I think as we were discussing before we started recording, it's Bailey said it's at the household level, right? Like basically someone in every house in Oklahoma probably has it if you want to think of it in that way.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll tell you, I assume that everybody I come into contact with outside my household, which is just me and Ashley, I assume that everybody I come into contact with has COVID.
0: Yeah. And, you know, my wife works in healthcare and so she's been getting tested every few days. She got tested this morning, again, as a precaution because she- um, as to see patients, some right, and just like Scott, I know tests uh, regularly. Um, it's it is important to be conscientious. We also made the decision. This is on a more personal note to um, to not have my two older kids come this weekend, right? Um, we they're going to stay with their mom this weekend because they've been in school until their school closed down today. Um, they are not symptomatic. They're both vaccinated, um, but. Most kids in their school don't wear a mask because they change. They're in Edmund schools, and Edmund changed to masks optional or recommended, but not required this semester. And so there's you know a ton of people that have it, and between them and my wife, we don't we don't want my wife to un- unknowingly bring COVID in here and give it to them. If we could avoid it, we also don't want them to bring it here, right? We have a baby who's not eligible to be vaccinated, and so just it's one of those things where looking at the data. It's way higher today than it was two weeks ago, and it is likely higher today than it will be in two weeks, Lord willing, right, that will be on the tail end of this, uh, of this surge. And so we were like, well, I talked to their mom and we decided let's just not get together this weekend, right? So um, sometimes you got to make, make the tough call for the greater good.
2: Speak, speaking of the decision by multiple school districts, not to well, not even the decision by school districts, but the law that passed last year forbidding schools from requiring uh, masks at at uh, uh, during school hours.
1: But we need to require them to be in the building.
2: How how do we feel like that's working? How do we feel like it's working out? Uh, not having making it illegal for schools to take mitigation measures.
1: Apparently, it's still the school's fault, according to the sentiment of some leaders in um, the legislature the governor's cabinet um, with the idea that why can't we just get other people from churches and nonprofits and all these other places why can't schools just pull from extra folks and so I I facetiously made a comment on uh, one of my friends posts that said um, that school bus driver could have just, got off the bus, walked into a classroom, subbed, washed his hands, served food in the cafeteria, went back to the classroom and subbed, and hopped back on the bus to take the kids back. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's literally, I, I, and I know that's you know facetious, but schools are literally pulling as many people and resourcing as possible, especially because a lot of the support staff are already underpaid, right? And so now we're asking them to do double duties in some areas. And there's a lot of school professionals who are having to do all kinds of things just to try to keep schools open and schools have, have reached their capacity and that's a systems level issue and not a school districts aren't trying issue.
2: You know, we're, we're still kind of on the, on the COVID thing. So uh, just got an update uh, from Metro, the four big hospital systems here in the Metro. Uh, So SSM health, which is St. Anthony, they are currently treating 184 COVID-19 patients in the hospital. They have zero ICU beds available. Uh, OU has 129 COVID-19 patients in the hospital. They have zero ICU beds available. Uh, Mercy has 99 COVID-19 patients in the hospital. They have zero ICU beds available. And Integris has 273 COVID-19 patients in the hospital. They have zero ICU beds available. Scott,
1: this feels like deja vu because we have talked about this very thing on this podcast and we thought that things were going to be different and here we are back in literally the same scenario that we heard about the distress on our healthcare system.
2: Yeah, I mean, and it and 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 it's you know it is in some ways more difficult this time around because even though the healthcare workforce is largely uh, vaccinated and many of them have gotten that third dose, um, there's so many people sick, right? I mean, the the hospital systems, all the all of the hospital systems have literally hundreds of people, uh, hundreds of people. Uh, are, are out sick and most of them are, 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 are going to be fine and they're going to, and they're going to come back, but that's still five days that you're trying to operate with a skeleton crew. Right. I mean, even, I mean, I, I, you know, think about, you all think about your offices, how would you function if 10% of your workforce was out every day or 20% of your workforce was out every day. Um, and, and then now imagine that that workforce is the, taking care of the sick people. You know, um, it's-
1: And Scott, one other thing we talked about before the pod started was there are other things happening even outside of COVID. And when all of those ICU beds are taken, that means people who are also facing other life-threatening conditions aren't going to be able to get the care that they need. Right. Right.
0: On the note, on, on a lighter note, going back to uh, just inviting people to come in and, and quote teach, we all agree that kids learn best in the classroom, right? And not having to cycle in and out. However, a ton of kids were not in the schools because they were sick. Secondly, a ton of teachers were not at school and it was just getting worse, right? Like, uh, and so there's-
1: Because there are a lot of teachers who are parents. Yeah. Right. right. And so if their kid is exposed- Right then they got to be able to quarantine and take care of their kids, right? right? And then
0: expecting business people to come in and, and fill a, you know just a warm body in a classroom doesn't mean that kids are learning. And also many businesses are closing because they don't have enough employees, right? So you can complain about the supply chain, but then you want people to take the day off work from a business that's already struggling to come over here. It doesn't make any sense. However, um, our friend uh, Nathan Poppy here on, on uh, in Oklahoma City Just tweeted something I thought was pretty funny. He, the chain of command, if your elementary school teacher is out sick. First, up next is the substitute teacher, then the principal, then the fastest kid in school, then the second fastest kid in school, then the water fountain, then the tallest girl with glasses, then the shortest boy with braces, and finally, eighth, the class pet. Those are the, uh, that's Nathan's suggestion for the chain of command if your teacher's out sick.
1: Can we just say that the Secretary of Education, Ryan Walters, hit a sore spot (laughs) on this topic? Yeah,
0: so someone who should be in a chain of command for something, um, yeah, uh, Secretary Walters tweeted about this. Do you happen to have his tweet handy? I'm sure most of our listeners saw it.
1: Well, and and while we're doing that, um, someone brought up um, the ratios on Twitter how you can tell whether someone really whether really someone's tweet is really supported or if they're really getting dragged out for their comments and there were single digit likes on secretary Walter's tweet and there were hundreds and actually I think on the second tweet because there was there was a two-part tweet the second part had like thousands of like retweet responses. (laughs) So people got a lot to say about his response to, to schools and, and and the approach that they're taking. So can, can
2: y'all explain ratio to me? What it means to get ratioed.
1: So like, if someone likes a bunch of your tweets and you don't get a lot of responses to it, Typically, that means, like, yeah, a lot of people agree with you. But if you don't get a lot of the hearts and you get more people commenting, the ratio then oh, is
2: I see, I see. more
1: on the you stepped on the landmine than you said something that the people like, right?
2: Well, <clears throat> here here is the tweet that... uh they got the secretary ratioed as the, as the kids say, he says, the first reaction should not be to shut schools down. It is the last resort. Parents are tired and children suffer when administrators act out of fear and not in the best interests of their kids and their future. I call on schools to use all of their available resources and administrative staff to cover classes, to ensure all of our students are given an in-person education option they should fulfill their obligation to educate our kids in Oklahoma. So, guys, what do you think of the odds that uh, Carly Atchison wrote that tweet? What do think the governor's office wrote that tweet for him? I don't, uh, I don't. Think,
1: the, the, I don't think the governor's comms person wrote that. I, I truly believe Secretary Walters tweeted that in the moment and really thought that that was going to be a noble <laughs> response. When teachers so is and that administrators a, is that out of
2: touch, it's just.
1: <laughs> I mean, but he's also never been an administrator, right? And that's part of um, the critique that people have given him through his appointment, because everybody's like, "Remember, he was a, a Oklahoma Teacher of the Year finalist." That doesn't mean that he knows how to operate a school or a school district. Um, doesn't mean that he understands emergency response in schools. He that doesn't mean that he has a a lens on the ways that schools approach um, emergency situations like a pandemic, right? And so a lot of school administrators um, saw this as a slap in the face, especially we're in a season when morale is really low for school districts. We know that there are many children who are behind. We're losing a lot of educators. Um, And it's just a trying time for every profession, but especially education, and then this came as a um a feedback with no real solution. Like, you know, you guys should be using every available resource as if they're not. Right. Like right. I as mean, if they're not using the data to try to inform their decisions to keep kids and teachers and parents
2: safe. I mean, the right? responses were like, the hell you think we're doing, bro? like are you kidding me right now like the mid especially
1: the superintendent um, from mid-down. um Middle. oh yeah he was, he, he
2: was hot <laughs> i mean i think he called it like ignorant asinine it was, it was basically basically like said like fight me right now like is is kind of was the tone of his the 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 tone of his tweet and then you know and then the governor put out some statement that basically echoed the same thing that uh that Secretary uh, Walters uh, put out. I mean, I, I want to say yesterday we had 91 school districts across the state uh, that were out, and I'm sure it's only gone up today. It was um, almost half today. I mean, I mean, Edmund was out today. You know it's getting bad if Edmund Ed, and Broken Arrow was out. you know, if, if Edmund and Broken Arrow were shutting down, you know it's bad. Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm pretty sure teachers don't want to do virtual teaching. Oh. Right? That was a really difficult transition for a lot of educators who do best when they can lay eyes on their kids, right? When they can be there for that hands-on instruction, right? That's not the number one choice of schools to is to go virtual, right? Unless that's the way the school is designed. Um, so this idea that schools intentionally want to send kids home to learn, to me, is very out of touch. And that's exactly the way that teachers and superintendents across the state and other school professionals took it because you have a lot of, like I mentioned, a lot of educators who are wearing multiple hats, doing their best, they're burnt out. And then to hear one of the, you know, top leaders, I mean, whether he's appointed or not, he's still an extension of the top leadership of the state to basically say, you're not working hard enough. You're not trying hard enough that, that hurt a lot of people.
2: Yeah, they they took it like the asinine out of touch comment that it is.
1: Well, but he did, before we go into that, he did go to uh, Santa Fe South Charter School um by invitation from Chris Brewster to um to sub, right? Um, and that's even getting critique, right? Some people are saying that was, you know, a way to get a photo op. You know, some people are saying that. It wasn't genuine, right? I think the hard part is that you can't make a comment like that, and then immediately go sub in a school and say, "Okay, look everybody, look what I'm doing," because I mean it just kind of puts you know salt to the injury.
0: That's right. Don't don't write checks that your don't let your mouth write checks that your ass can't cash. Isn't that how the? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, Are you I, ready? The top top gun reference, like Maverick, your
2: ego's writing checks your body can't cash.
1: Well, and Andy, on the, on that note, though, for for Secretary Walters, it's important to know that he's running for state superintendent, right? And he's going to have a lot of backtracking and work to do to earn the trust and respect of school administrators and teachers across the state. Um, one of his opponents, Dr. April Grace who is the Shawnee public school superintendent, um, tweeted um, that she's giving a shout out to all of the the teachers and educators out there working hard and especially the kindergarten teachers. I believe she had some photos of her in her schools actually helping to work with kids. And I think she was working with the kindergarten class. And so there was just such stark difference between how he responded and how one of his opponents you know for state superintendent responded and so that's going to be an uphill battle for him because people aren't going to forget this
0: yeah hopefully not and, and i mean i think the the idea um that he could say hey this is what people should do and then folks said well are you going to do it and he got called by you know a friend at a charter school and he went in for two hours out of the whole day it's like okay well you you'd you did a half-assed job at the thing that you were telling everyone else to do, right? And and perhaps he wasn't able to. Perhaps his schedule didn't allow. For the same reason that most people can't, right? Like it, it really is a struggle. And so it just seemed like, you know, armchair quarterbacking what should be happening in the schools by someone who doesn't work in the schools every day. He doesn't see it in the same way, right? and it is often I mean we're guilty of this too like we do it on the podcast all the time right <laughs> about policies and and how things should happen um but we're also not the ones that are in charge. we're not the governor's cabinet member, you know, in charge of of helping set policy for this kind of thing. I I didn't see much. and maybe I missed it, but I didn't see much from superintendent Hoffmeister the last couple of days. Have you guys seen anything from her office or is she laying low? Because she has her own campaign to worry about.
1: Well, I saw an email that said that she hit a record, and I don't know if this is for the quarter, um, but probably likely um, that she's raised um, half a million dollars. And I'm pretty sure that um, these fumbles that are being made in the way that um, COVID and schools are being handled is doing nothing but fueling you know her her campaign run so i think that is interesting too and it, it maybe even strategic to not even get into the discussion but you know just let people put foot in mouth
2: andy when was it last year you asked if covid was going to be a factor in the 2022 election
0: <laughs> and again i mean here's the thing it's only january right i mean that's true It yeah that's true we've got almost 11 full months between now and the election and the world could look very different we know from polling and i had taken issue with this i think if you listen to 538 politics podcast they address this as well the good use of polling or bad use of polling when some local outfits right amber integrate and others have polled and asked just ask uh, respondents what's your top priority what's the top issue for you and people say economy not covid I would say too many pollsters are interpreting that as that people aren't are no longer concerned about COVID, but that's not the case. There I think it has become such a part of everyday life that there are other things that are perhaps more urgent but just as important, right? Um, and so I think clearly this week has demonstrated that it is still a huge deal that still disrupts life in many ways.
1: Well, and Andy, I wanna take something back that. I said about superintendent Hoffmeister because she did respond on January 11th when secretary Walters made that tweet. She said, um, it's a four part tweet. Our students are paying the ultimate price for the lack of leadership from the governor's office. During this pandemic, schools need to be open and school leaders are doing everything in their power to make that happen. Pretending the pandemic doesn't exist does not does nothing to solve the problem. In fact, it makes it worse. This week is living proof. It is past time to stop petting Oklahomans against one another and exploiting a public health crisis. Our first reaction should be do the right thing and lead by example as Omicron rages. We must keep schools open and minimize disruption by reducing spread of the virus. Get vaccinated, get a booster shot, wear a mask, Stay home if you're sick and test if you have any doubt. For the sake of all children and their families, we must take this pandemic seriously. I will continue connecting with school leaders, sharing support and every resource possible as they face tough realities. We'll get through this together. Um, On her first tweet, because we talked about ratioing, right? So this is a great example about the opposite (laughs) from Secretary Walter's tweet. Secretary, I mean, uh, Superintendent Hoffmeister has 605 likes and she has 22 quoted tweets and then she has 78 retweets. Right. So the ratio is the opposite. Like the comments that she's getting on her thread are this is awesome. Thank you so much. And blah, 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 blah. And then she has a whole bunch of likes signaling that people like her response. It was the opposite with Secretary Walter's tweet where. He has 94, I think.
2: Likes like 550 Likes. comments.
1: And yeah, and all and all the comments of, of people not being happy. So, but but she did speak out, and I think the way that she phrased it weaved the idea that it's not ideal for kids to not be in school, but the way to keep kids in school is to do the things that mitigate COVID. So
0: yeah. Well, let's um move on to a couple of other topics one just a brief mention is that the supreme court of the u.s um issued a i guess a ruling today or this week uh, related to the mcgert decision but it they basically decided to not do anything that would overturn it right the 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 state of oklahoma as listeners you well know we have asked well the state has asked the supreme court through various different cases to basically overturn can y'all look
1: at this again (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah and so so as as i think scott uh texted me when the ruling came out on monday or tuesday like whoa what you're the court doesn't want to go back on what they ruled on less than a year after they did it uh and like that's exactly right they're gonna stick with their opinion so so far no changes there so i guess it's uh no news is good news uh but today just a couple of hours before we began recording um it was announced that the chair of the state's pardon and parole board, Adam Luck, um, had announced his resignation, which he said he did at the request of the governor. Um, and he has since been replaced by uh, a man named Edward, I think it's pronounced Koneski, but I'm not certain. So it's, a uh, don't hold me to the pronunciation, but he is a, uh, I think a, a minister, a bishop, uh, and a former police officer. Now, Adam Luck, in his resignation, said that he was resigning from the Pardon and Parole Board because he does, he has come to realize he does not believe that anyone should be executed. Um, he is against the death penalty, which is not an opinion shared by the governor. Now, the people on the Pardon and Parole Board are appointed by the governor, but I do they serve at the pleasure of the governor? Like, the like Scott is shaking his head no. I I did not have a chance to look this
2: up today, but I had looked this up previously when we were, you know, uh in the wake of the in the wake of the, the Julius Jones case. Um I believe that this is a board where once the governor appoints them, they serve until the governor's term is over, and they can only resign of their own volition. So the governor could ask them to resign, um, but he can't remove them the way he did with the doctors on the state board of uh, on the state board of the healthcare authority or the state board of education. Um, he can he can ask them to resign, but he can't pull them off. They
0: have to say yes, I agree. So they're appointed for the duration of the governor's term?
2: That is my understanding, That's yes. a weird
0: way to do it. Do you know if that means that they would have termed out at the end, like in after this?
2: I think they have to be reappointed. So reappointed? Yeah. yeah.
0: So, Well, let's say. So if, if Adam Luck had said, no, I'm not resigning, I'm going to stick it out for the next 12 months, then I guess... Then I
2: think the governor would have... That I think his term would have been over and the governor could have appointed somebody else, I believe is the case.
1: How oh, interesting. But I think this tracks the behaviors that we've seen over the past few years that if you have a belief system that's cross-haired with the governor, he will remove you. Right. So if you do not believe what the governor wants you to believe in the way he wants you to believe it. He will pull you from your office. I mean, we just saw that with the National Guard, right? Just a few months ago. And now we're seeing the same thing with um, Adam Luck and his role on pardon parole board.
0: Yeah, no, I think he just wants to be surrounded. The governor wants to be surrounded by yes men, right? People who will agree with him and do his bidding. And that is, from a leadership perspective, not the best way to lead, right? You want people who will challenge you, who will push back who will not acquiesce to your point of view. Now I will I would say from a good leadership perspective, from a authoritarian leadership perspective, right? Someone who wants total control, I get it, right? It is much easier to be the person who has uh you know, total control over your your company, your organization, your entity, right? To be the the final authority. But the reason that, you know, our government here in America is designed with Checks and balances, and the reason that we have so many boards and commissions in our state, right? So many elected positions, is because the power does not rest and should not rest with a single individual at the top, right? (laughs) There's a reason that we went to war with England uh, to to part ways with a monarchy, right? And there's a reason that we established three co-equal branches of government, and the reason that we have so many checks and balances on that government, and so many ways that the public can be involved and can help govern ourselves, right? We are a self-governed people. Um, and it's to ensure that we don't, uh, we don't live our lives based on the whims of a particular individual. And so it is frustrating when you see this kind of stuff happen, right? Where someone, and I don't know if there's conversations that happen in the background where they got to this decision Is said, okay, like this is a mutually agreed upon decision or if it was you know if there were some kind of threats levied right like i don't i don't know if there's you, with politics you always wonder if the posi- the person in power has something on the other person right some kind of leverage they could they can use to lean on them to get them to to say or act or behave in a way that they want them to
2: you know i i i have i have mixed feelings on this so on the one hand, I I think that, you know, the governor and, and any executive, whether it's the president or governor, whatever, does uh, have the, I, I don't want to say the right, I think it is reasonable for our elected executives to feel that the people they appoint to positions um, you know, should one be able to exercise their best judgment, but two, should largely align with the philosophical viewpoint of of the governor or the president, whoever. Right? Like, I don't think anybody would expect Joe Biden to appoint, you know, a member of the Trump administration to some executive post. Right? Like, I, I, I don't, I don't think that's what we would expect. So, I. I but he
1: appoint. But the governor appointed.
2: He did these yeah, people yeah. that
1: he's now pulling and it's been several yeah right it's not just a couple so it just makes me wonder
2: no i I agree are you
1: even appointing people and do you know their right
2: the fact that he's political
1: philosophy and beliefs
2: right so this that's what i was going to say the fact that the governor has had to replace so many people shows that one he doesn't vet these people as well as he either should before he does right or these people have changes of heart they learn new information they become experts in the areas in which they've been appointed to serve and once they do that and they disagree with the governor the governor says i don't want you to serve anymore neither one of those are markers of a good of a good leader so i'm not here to defend the the governor in in that respect i'm just saying you know i can i can understand you know i can understand adam saying to the governor look i've come to a place doing this work where i now understand about myself that i don't support and will not support the death penalty in any circumstance and i can see him saying to the governor like you know that's obviously not the stance that you have so if you want me to resign like I will because we're on different we're on different pages about this issue. However, I can also see the validity of someone who might say, "Hey, man, he got appointed. He's under no obligation to resign. And if that is what he feels is the best use of that office, then he has an obligation to stay there and to to stay there and and make that viewpoint heard throughout his tenure to give voice to the people who oppose the death penalty and to say that hey this is something i don't think we should be doing in in in, in civil society and i'm going to use my position of kind of authority in in this matter to say that so i can see both sides i can see him because adam is a person of integrity i can see him on the one hand Feeling like he has an obligation to step down because he knows he is not aligning with the person who who appointed him, I can also see the argument for, "Hey man, why don't you stay and like fight the good fight?" So I, I see both sides, and and I like Adam a lot, and I I just for me I can't I can't really fault him. I think he is doing
0: what he feels like is the honorable thing, and I and I'm never going to fault somebody for that. Yeah. And I do think this is uh, probably highlights what we said a few minutes ago when we were discussing education and Secretary Walters and all of that, that uh, Scott, I think you're right. I mean, if it's easy to think or to believe one thing, right? When you're just living life where you don't have to make the decisions. And then you get in that position, like on the pardon parole board, where you're hearing case after case after case, I mean, hundreds, right, of, of applications for this. And you are having to really weigh this and you're thinking about these cases. And
1: Andy, he said he's heard thousands of cases over the past three years.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and that undeniably and rightfully so will have an impact, right. And perhaps change how you think about an issue. Right. And it is, um, you know, whether it's something like the death penalty, where you suddenly have maybe not the final power to, to say if someone lives or dies, but you have influence in that. That's
1: especially when we see a number of botched executions. Ooh, yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. And you start thinking, man, okay, well, what are we doing to rectify the situation? I mean, that's where that's where I am. You know, I
2: think this is on the one hand, this is uh, yet another example of the governor wanting to have direct power and influence um, and, and not have anybody in any position he gets to a point that disagrees with him. Um, but I understand why Adam stepped down. The fact that he's replacing him with a police officer just makes me I mean, that's just gives me a headache. Um, you know, I don't I don't know anything uh, about uh, is it Kanichki? Ken, Ken, How do you say his last name? Do you? Yeah, think?
0: I'm not, I haven't heard it said out loud. And it's been a minute since I lived in Minnesota, where we had more names that were spelled this way.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna guess it's Kanitsky. Kanitzky. Um, uh, but that's could be completely wrong. Um, you know, he's also been a uh, bishop and president of the Episcopal Church. So, you know, I don't know what his feelings are on uh, uh, the death penalty and the and the criminal justice system, the criminal justice system uh, more generally. But we shall see. Um. Yeah, who who did who did the gov endorse in the uh, mayors the uh mayor mayoral race in
0: uh, Norman? I assume it was not Bree Clark. Yeah, so uh, Governor Stitt has formally endorsed Nicole Kish for the mayor of Norman. Uh, I believe this is the she's a member of the Unite Norman group. She's one of those people that thinks Norman should secede from Oklahoma. I don't know she's that far
1: there's about four people running so yeah
0: she was uh she attended the stop the steel rally on january 6th in washington dc
2: oh good so he's endorsed an insurrectionist
0: well as she said as um she's experienced the rally at a distance and um so it was very crowded so they went back to the hotel to watch on tv and once violence broke out she immediately booked a flight home whether or not that's true or not that's the right thing to say if you're running for mayor, I think.
1: Especially in Norman.
0: Yeah, right. Which is a, historically a fairly blue town. But, man, local politics there has been a a hot mess for the last couple of years.
2: Does uh does the governor know she's Canadian? What's that? Does the governor know she's Canadian? Is she Canadian? Yeah, she's from Saskatchewan. Really?
0: Yeah. do you know that? Thought I already knew that. I don't that she's from saskatchewan no sorry i don't know the uh, origin of all the mayoral candidates in the state <laughs> no she's uh dr nicole kish uh doctor of optometry originally
2: from uh saskatchewan up in uh, up in canadia well hey
0: there we go all right uh yeah apparently he endorsed her due to his personal connection with being raised in norman i also didn't know that that the governor was raised in Norman. I thought he was always a a Tulsa man.
1: So he has ties to Tulsa and Norman. Yeah, because he graduated from um, Norman Public Schools. I think, I don't know if it's Norman High or Norman North, but Mm -hmm. I know it's for sure one of the Norman schools he graduated high school from.
0: Interesting.
2: I do feel like it is important for me to say, so I don't get accused of being xenophobic, uh, that uh, she does say on her campaign website that she became a U.S. citizen in 1999, and it is one of the proudest moments of her life. And apparently she also served in the Oklahoma Air National Guard. So there we go. Interesting.
0: I don't know enough about the candidates to in Norman to make an informed decision. I'm not endorsing anybody. Uh, I don't live there. It's not my deal. Um, However, Oklahoma City does have a mayoral election as well. As a reminder, listeners, these mayoral elections as well as mayoral elections around the state and I think school board as well are on February 8th. February 8th. So that's Mm -hmm. uh, just a little shy of a month. From right now, today, as we record this on January 14th, is the deadline to register to vote for that. So, if by some chance you are listening to this podcast and are not yet registered to vote, you, uh, I probably missed the boat for that. You can still register, you just can't vote on February in this 8th. Election. Uh, but you should go ahead and register and just vote in the next election for which you are eligible. Speaking of uh, the mayoral election for Oklahoma City, um, David Holt is running for reelection. There are, I think, three other candidates, uh, and in fact, Nondoc is hosting a debate for candidates. Uh, that debate will be held on January 25th uh, at 5.45 p.m. at the auditorium at the Douglas here in Oklahoma City. They uh, It'll be streamed, I believe, on the News 9 Facebook page, probably on Nondoc's Facebook page as well. Uh, incumbent Mayor David Holt has declined to participate thus far. So uh, I suspect given his uh, ranking in the polling, he sees nothing to be gained by participating in that debate, which I get, right? So his the opponents are um, Carol. Jimmy
1: Lawson. Yeah,
0: Jimmy Lawson, Carol Hefner, and Frank Urbanic, right?
1: Urbanic, yes. He sent us a mailer um, that talked about... Um, critical race theory it talked about the need to fund police and fire and not BLM it talked about He said this
0: to you and Rod
1: Oh it on the mailer that was sent to our home so
2: is Mr. Urbanic under the impression that BLM is getting funding from the city of Oklahoma? Uh,
1: and at the bottom of the priority list was dealing with like homelessness and roads. Right. So. But I mean, <laughs> that was at the bottom of the things to, to to tackle. I don't know.
0: I don't know your husband's uh, political leanings, but I know that he married you, and I know where you at on some of these issues. And it just strikes me that. Someone did not tailor their voter segment correctly in mailing that to you, as if someone believes that you are movable on this.
1: Uh, Let's just say there was a return to sender and a note on the postcard. <laughs> I, I gave a little bit of feedback.
0: Fair so. enough. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's funny. Oh, uh, we've received no mail from any of the the candidates here thus far. Although I expect in about three weeks that we will get a deluge of mail. all the yeah. 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 One of our neighbors has a very large Frank Urbanic sign, which I thought was interesting. He's, they're down on the corner, but I thought, I was like, huh, okay, look at that. So
2: are they also out on the street? Well, What's that?
1: Yeah, they're, they're, there's billboards. Pub, you, guys. There's,
2: you said it's well, down on the and, corner. And I said, are they also out in the street? Oh, it's a song. I see what you, you did go. there. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Aha. Yeah. I guess right. it's that, you know election reminder that yard signs and billboards don't win elections you have to communicate with the people so That's right. Um
0: That's right. Well, that's and to say that yeah, Mayor Holt uh based on recent polling has a very comfortable lead um of well over 50%. I think he won last time with like 74% or something of the vote it was mm-hmm. uh, a commanding victory so
1: And and the thing to remember I I believe with these races They're nonpartisan, correct?
0: They are. That's correct. Yeah, they are. So
1: I think that might be another factor because the last time he ran, there wasn't four people running. And so that makes your lead a lot higher um, in percentage of votes that you get. Because I believe it wasn't it like a... She was young. Wasn't she like 18 or 20 years old on the ballot? It was something like that. Um, And so now there's three other people which, you know each of those candidates will pull votes away so
0: right yeah it'll be i mean we'll watch it it'll be interesting i have here in my hands my uh my absentee ballot you can hear the sound of the paper and um i the only thing on this ballot for me is mayor
1: there are um school board races that's right
0: there are some Oklahoma City school board races
1: yes especially for Oklahoma City public schools right
0: so. Um, I think Edmund as well, probably several others. Um, as a reminder, you can go to the election board website, elections.ok.gov. You can look at your sample ballot. You can see what's on there, what races um, that you'll be voting in. You still have time to request your absentee ballot. You can request those for a couple more weeks. Um, if you want to do that, voting by mail is super easy and safe. Uh, and, you know, as long as you return it on time, your vote will be counted. Uh, and then we uh, Bailey, you had mentioned earlier, and we'll talk about this probably next week, that the city of Oklahoma City has just this week released their redistricting maps. Um, so it's they have to, just like the state did, the city has to redraw the city council wards. Uh, and so they've done that. I've had obviously some communication with them about that because of my connection to that issue. Uh, and so we'll share a brief bit about that. There's not a ton to talk about, I think. Honestly, the maps look pretty decent, which is relieving. <laughs> right. Uh, so that's good.
1: Yeah. Very, very little changes. It feels like Yeah. So.
0: that's right. All right, folks. Well, anything else do you want to touch on before we go?
1: There was one thing I wanted to mention on uh, the McGirt issue. When we were talking about McGirt, it was so interesting because, um, the governor made a Facebook or like social media, uh, message, uh, trying to talk about the dangers of McGirt and how you shouldn't believe the tribes that it's not that big of a deal um, about how a dog got loose by um, a person who wasn't home and went into the through the doggy door and attacked another man's two dogs viciously. And that because the person who owned the dog was a member of a tribal nation that he couldn't pursue justice for his dogs. Therefore, that's an example of what's going to happen with McGirt. And that was just mind-blowing to me of, of the reaches on the narrative of this McGirt case and, and what sovereignty means for the state. So, yeah, that was, that, that was uh, very interesting.
0: That was a, a weird take, right? To to be like, oh, okay, this, uh, a dog died, so we should overturn the Supreme Court ruling. I'm not saying it's not right. dramatic. I'm just saying that seems pretty extreme.
2: I'm about so, as big of pretty-
0: a dog fan as it gets.
2: And even I was like, come on, bro. <laughs> Reaching. Like,
0: come on. Bro. <laughs>
2: like, we're talking about people's lives here like come on and also he was like the police can't do anything about it it was like i mean the tribal police can do all kinds of things about it (laughs) right like he every all of his messaging about mcgert acts like that like city and state police in oklahoma like non-tribal law enforcement is the only law enforcement that exists when the tribes actually have very well-trained well-funded and active police departments of their own um anyway
1: well, and it was fascinating because the Tulsa World, I can't remember if this was an editorial or just a piece, but um they mentioned that a lot of the cases that were referenced of I guess the state losing that authority to prosecute or whatever, that they were tried at the federal level. <laughs> and so there wasn't necessarily gaps of like no interactions and with the justice system or no consequences, but there's been, you know, cases that either went through tribal courts or they went through federal courts. So that that was interesting.
0: Yeah. No, the, the they are drumming up uh chaos about stuff that's already been handled so many times. And uh it just makes me crazy. Just I mean just now as we're recording uh Congresswoman Stephanie Bice had I just saw a tweet from her from a couple of hours ago about uh, in-person education is critical to a child's cognitive development. If we deny them this, we are failing them. We cannot allow the next generation to fall behind. Schools can and should remain open. And I'm like, everybody wants schools to be open. But when you have too many people that are sick, that you don't have the ability to staff the classroom, and it's making more people sick, like that's what happens. There are ways to keep schools open. We could require masks, right? We could promote uh, vaccines, like there are, we have tools in our toolbox to make this happen, but it's like you just got to use them. No, but just screaming that you want schools to be open is not going to make them open.
1: Well, and even Andy, hopefully next week we can talk about this because we didn't even get to touch on some of the federal stuff that's been really interesting. But she also has some thoughts about um, voting rights legislation too.
0: Oh so. gosh, yeah, we should talk about that because that's hopefully. Something will happen next week with that. We'll we'll see. Congress is the Senate has adjourned for the weekend. They'll come back on Tuesday and uh, allegedly are going to vote on the uh, For the People Act. We'll see. All right, friends, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you both for being here, Scott. Thank you.
2: Hey, I man, wouldn't miss it.
0: Bailey, thank you for being here.
1: Of course, happy to be here on my
0: birthday. On your birthday. All right. Well, happy go birthday. celebrate. Uh, listeners, please mark your calendars for the election on February 8. Also, um, don't forget that there is uh candidate filing deadlines in April. There are plenty of races. If any of you are an attorney and would like to run for district attorney for Oklahoma County, Lord knows we need some more good candidates there. Please uh, consider filing. Reach out if you want to talk about it, um, as well as a number of other you know, county seats, statewide offices, Uh, legislative seats lots of options there ever consider running for office hey now's the time it's not too late Um, the primary election will be in june the general election in november we'll keep you in the loop the whole way through remember decisions are made by those who show up have a good week